how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. When Jonathan Eag realized there hadn't been a biography on Muhammad Ali's entire life, he knew he found his next project. With other books on Al Capone, Lou Gehrig, and Jackie Robinson under his belt, he felt confident in the task, but also didn't know anyone in the world of boxing to begin his journey. Eventually, Eag was able to launch conversations with the key people from Ali's life, including his three surviving wives and various past managers. Conducting over 500 interviews to gather information for the unauthorized biography, he even uncovered thousands of pages of unreleased FBI and Justice Department files on one of the most popular men of all time. Now he's working with Ken Burns on an official documentary series on Ali. In this interview, Eek shares the role of happy accidents in the life of Ali, his views on the value of biographies versus autobiographies, how he determines fact from fiction in his research, and he shares a few details about his next challenge, a biography on Martin Luther King Jr. When I realized that there had been no book on Ali, no big book, no real biography, um, I was a little overwhelmed, but that's normal. You know, any book that you're not, you're not an expert starting out, you're going to be overwhelmed. So I just tried to take it one step at a time and, and figure out who I should be talking to, who the key sources were going to be, and then start reading up on Ali at the same time. So while I was reading, I reached out to some of the people who I thought might be really important sources, um, starting with his with his wives, uh, with his business manager, Gene Kilroy. Um, those are the people who, uh, Don King, people who I thought, you know, probably knew him the best. And, and um, and also those who I thought I might have a chance at getting access to because, um, you know, I didn't have any expertise in this. I didn't know anybody in the world of boxing. I didn't know anybody in Ali's circle. So I had to start out, you know, cold calling them and hoping that somebody would be nice and actually speak to me. When you start, like, the, the reading part of your research, do you see, you know, in terms of biographies versus autobiographies, how do you see the perspective? Like, are, are you do you always read as much as you can and then kind of show different points of view, or what's kind of your thought process in that regard? Um, on the question of autobiography versus biography, I've always been a little bit prejudiced against autobiography, and, and maybe it's unfair. I, I, I sometimes think I, I've overdone it. I, I tend to assume that the autobiography is not to be trusted, that the people tend to exaggerate or... Um, embellish their the, the story of their own lives and and that um you can get more from from 
a serious biographer or a journalist who was there covering it. But uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not fair. I think the the, the key thing to look for in, a, in the autobiography is um, feelings and um, and and maybe not worry so much about every detail being right, but trying to figure out what made them tick. Um, the autobiography can be really helpful for that. So kind of like um, when you started this book, there's lots of great stories there. Um, let's can you tell us a little bit about the bicycle uh, the bicycle thief story? And then, in my perspective, it seems like a lot of Ali's life came by coincidence. And then when he started making choices, almost like bad things happened. What's kind of, you know, the bicycle story, then your perspective on uh, choices versus coincidence in his early life? Yeah, you know, so much of, of life is about the choices you make, but also about the accidents that happen. And you have to hope that your choices are mostly good ones and that they don't... Uh mess you up and you hope that uh, your uh, your accidents are mostly happy ones and, and Ali had a lot of happy accidents um, and and certainly the story of the bicycle is is one really good one he he's riding his bicycle and it, it gets stolen he goes looking for a police officer to help him and the police officer happens to be somebody who's uh, coaching kids teaching them how to box and I also happens to be a white police officer and also happens to be, you know, working in an integrated gym where, you know, in, that didn't happen much in Louisville in the in the in the 40s and 50s. He didn't see a lot of opportunity for for kids to compete um, interracially in that way. So that was a very happy accident for Ali. Um, and uh, you know, he continues to get lucky. He, you know, he's he's not really very good at other sports. You know, he was he was terrible at basketball. He was. Not very. He was had no interest in football. He wasn't good at at. Um, he, he just wasn't sort of wired for team sports. So the fact that he discovered boxing at that age, when he was only twelve, was was really fortunate. So you mentioned um, you mentioned like in the book that boxing was really the only outlet for a young black man with little to no education. Um, he was so obsessed with being famous, though. Do you think he might have still been famous as an actor or musician later in life? Like, was it inevitable for him to be someone we'd recognize? No, I don't think it was inevitable at all. I think it was a long shot. Could he have um, emerged as a as a politician or a or as a, an entertainer, a, you know, comedian, an actor? Yes, but those are all incredibly difficult. Uh, positions to find yourself in. And um, I, I'd have to say, it's, you know, very unlikely that he would have emerged as a star in, in anything but boxing. I listened to, um, you did a conversation with Andrew Jinks on his podcast, um, What Really Happened. He talks about this moment where Ali may have talked someone down from a suicide. And you mentioned in your book, and it's just a few lines, um, how do you like? I know that was a news story, but are there examples where you might just have hearsay about something? Like, does that still go in the book, but you kind of put a disclaimer with it, or do you always need kind of two points of proof, like a news article? Like, how do you view the facts of someone's life when it was so long ago? That's a million dollar question, and and it, it's really you got to take it on a case by case basis. Um, it's always tempting to to tell these stories that that are iconic and that seem so perfect. Um, but often they turn out to be so perfect because they've been made up or embellished. And then you have to decide, um, is it worth including? Should I include it, but 
add a level of um, skepticism, let the reader decide for themselves. Uh, it's especially true with older figures. You know, when I was writing about Al Capone, that came up a lot. You know, the incidents that we've come to know from the movies almost certainly never happened. And then you got to go back and sort of um, deconstruct it and figure out where did we get this story in the first place? How was it born? Um, how did it evolve? Why do we have this scene now that everybody thinks is associated with Al Capone that involves a you know, baseball bat being uh, you know, used to, um, to, to kill a, a, a rat at, at a fancy dinner table? Not a rat, uh, not a real rat, but a, you know, a human rat. Um, so what I'll usually do is decide, first of all, is there enough validity to the story that it belongs in the book? Uh, if it if it if it's not valid, does it belong in the book anyway? Because people are familiar with it, and then you need to explain um, where the story comes from and and let the reader decide. So I try to always err on the side of um, caution, and 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 I think you you got to earn your reader's respect by showing them that you're being a critical thinker, that you're not accepting these stories at face value. You know, Ali says he threw his gold medal in the river because he was mad about not being served in a, in a segregated restaurant. Probably bullshit. So I'm going to let you know, even though I'd love to include that wonderful story, um, I'm going to step in and tell you that uh, there's a lot of reason to doubt it. So kind of like to take a step further with that idea uh, I listened to a recent interview with, I may just say this wrong, but Timothy Denevy, he wrote a recent book on Hunter S. Thompson, and he was um, very cautious of like showing his work, which means a giant index and notes at the end. Likewise, you've got like between pages 543 and 623, or notes and index and references. How important is just showing your work? How do you see that as far as a writer to kind of to prove that you've done the work and the research, or just to give them more information if they want to do it that way? I think it's really important, and I know that um, a lot of writers feel like it's it's just um, you know insider baseball, but I'm proud of the fact that there is so much new information in my book. I'm proud of the fact that other books about Ali didn't get some of these great details, and I want to a, reassure my readers that I'm not making any of this up, that it's that I've worked really hard to verify all of it. And B, I want to provide a, a map for the next generation of biographers who come in and they want to write about Ali. Uh, I want them to be able to find this stuff too and to, just to, to, to know that, that they can trust me, that if I put it in there, um, I've got something to back it up. And if you find that I got it wrong, at least then you can go see where I based that information, you know, what I based it on. And if I did get it wrong... Um, you can understand why. Is there any uh, single story that comes to mind where you decided to cut or drastically reduce the story for any reason? And if so, how did you make that decision? Oh, man. Um, yeah, you know, here's one. Um, after the, I, I think of the, 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 the rumble in the jungle as being the climax of the book in a way. It's Ali's greatest moment in the ring, um, greatest moment, of his career, really, in a way, because he um, he gets his championship back after the government took it away from him. He beats George Foreman when no one thought he had a chance. It's in Africa. It's just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And at the end of that scene, at the end of the fight, um, George Plimpton, writing in Sports Illustrated, tells this this great story that um, Ali gets into a, a silver Citroen with his wife and rides off, and the rain starts to fall, and it turns into a huge storm. Um, 
despite the the rain, African women and children and are standing on the side of the road just to watch all these cars go by, and they, they're just um, pounding, and the rain is pounding on their heads, and, and they, they don't care because they they want to see Ali go by, and it's a, I, I wanted that to be the end of my chapter, and I love that scene, but when I called um, Ali's wife to ask her about it and to say, well, you know, I wanted some more detail. What was it like in the car? What was, you know, what was he wearing? What was she wearing? What they talk about? She didn't remember anything um, from that. And then I called um, his third wife, Veronica, because she was also in Zaire. And I asked her if she knew anything about that scene. She said that um, she wasn't in the car with Ali, but she also knew for a fact that that um, Khalila, wife number two, was not in the car with Ali. So then there was this great mystery. Um, who's in the car with Ali? If George Plimpton says it was his wife without naming her, was it wife number two? Was it wife number three? Was it this what, other woman named Wanda who had also been unofficially married to Ali in this um, um, sort of uh, semi-religious service? Um, it was. It just opened up this huge Pandora's box for me, and, and I, I thought, in a way, this was more interesting, um, the uncertainty um, told you so much about Ali's life at that point that we can't even be sure which of his three wives he was in the car with. But ultimately, I felt like it distracted from a really important, dramatic moment in my book and that I wanted you to be cheering at that point. I did not want you to be um, confused in your emotions by you know whether he was um, sleeping with too many women, whether he was juggling too many women. Um, that wasn't where I wanted the reader's head to be at that point in the book. So I just dropped the whole thing and, uh, and I just said he got into the car <laughs> and, and rode off into the jungle, basically. Um, I spoke with uh, Joe Hagan, who wrote the book, Sticky Fingers, and we were kind of talking about, I think Cal Fussman was talking about this. They interviewed, he interviewed Ali several times in his life. I mean, he was arguably one of the, if not the most famous person in, in recent history. Do you think he's like as most famous it will ever be in terms of at that time there was less media channels? So everybody knew who he was around the world. Do you think he'll always be kind of the most famous person? I think he could. I think you might argue that he had the greatest level of fame of any man before um, and, and maybe after because, as you suggested, the media is, is so enormous now and it's so divided and fame can be spliced into a million different pieces. I don't know that anyone will ever have that kind of instant recognition. I don't think, I mean, who's the most famous man on earth right now? Um, is it, you know, Justin Bieber or, or is it Donald Trump or I don't, I don't know, but I don't think that any of those people could necessarily walk into a, um, into a remote village in, um, in Asia and be recognized. Um, but Ali could Ali, uh, even before the internet, before, um, um, you know, cable TV, he could, he could walk into just about any town in, in the world and be recognized. I don't know that that's ever going to happen again, that the way it did with Ali. So after reading the book, I mean, I didn't know, you know, near all of these facts about him. I kind of just as a, like, I'm, I'm 30. So it was like a fan. My dad was a giant fan through his life and that kind of thing. Um, 
do you see like what what kind of lessons do you see in this book? Ali didn't really have his father around. He found he found other father figures later in life. There's definitely aspects of nature and nurture that one could argue, but um, you know, should you? <laughs> is there any possibility that someone raising their kid to quote be the greatest in something that will happen, or was it just by chance of Ali? I don't think you could follow Ali's. Um, model and and like raise your kids to be like Muhammad Ali. It would never work, and it would likely end in disaster. Um, so, on the one hand, on, on on the one hand, um, you know he, he makes a very poor role model, but on the other hand, he's somebody who believed in himself and was not afraid to try, um, not afraid to follow his instincts, and he got awfully lucky, and 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 a lot of it worked out. Um, and that is something that you can learn from. Um, you know, certainly the the example of you know that he sets for for for, for confidence and for and for standing up for his beliefs. Those are you know universally um, admirable goals. I think it's particularly interesting. There's a line in your book that said solitude was his enemy. Can you kind of talk about that and how he may have viewed being alone versus his confidence in numbers? All his life, really, even from his childhood, Ali just desperately needed attention. Um, and you know, usually the first kid who comes along, the oldest in the family, gets plenty of attention. And it's the second kid who who complains that he's not getting enough love and not getting enough of his parents' um, attention. Ali just had an endless appetite, endless craving for attention um, from from his infancy until his death, really. And... Um, that and and he was not introspective. He was not somebody who liked to you know be in his own head. wasn't um, If he had a thought, it had to be expressed right away. Um, you, you just never really saw him you know pausing to reflect. He just trusted. It's kind of like the same style in the ring. He didn't like to go in with a strategy. He didn't like to think too much about how what he was going to do. He liked to just react. And um, that's why I say he was you know solitude was his enemy. He he just desperately needed to be around people all the time, and when he was bored, um, and he was easily bored, he would just um, pick up the phone and, and, and start talking to people, complete strangers. He would just dial random numbers out of the phone book or just go stand on the sidewalk and wait for somebody to come along who noticed him, and, and he just he had to have a party around him all the time. Do you see it as, as something about the generation? Like I, my grandfather's in the 80s, and he's always kind of done things. I would say now looking back, he probably didn't have a lot of introspective. He just did whatever the work was. You know, didn't really think about it like we do today. You think it's of that era, or was it particularly Ali that was like that? Um, some of it may be generational, but, you know, this is a kid who's dyslexic, who, who never really learned to be um, quiet and in his, and, and sitting and reading a book. Um he didn't get um, much validation from his teachers um, for for traditional schoolwork, but he did get validation for being the class clown, and I think that 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 had a big part of it. I think that had a big big part to play. Logistically, what was your process like for this? I think you said you did like over five hundred interviews, like from day one to the book comes out. How how many years or how long did that take? And what was kind of the process like month to month as you got went through the book? And I started out just doing nothing but interviews. I didn't even think about writing for the first maybe six or eight months, just interviews and reading up and looking for sources of new material, then looking for sources of old material as well, um, you know, just trying to build up 
uh, to the point where I was confident enough to, to to start putting some words on the page. And um, after you know maybe a year or two, then it was fifty fifty research and writing, and then toward the end it was um, mostly writing. And then there were a few sources that you know people who were really hard to get interviews arranged with and th- th- that went down to the wire you know getting his third wife to talk to me um getting uh Don King Louis Farrakhan to talk to me those interviews you know I was just trying for it took me you know 2 3 years to get those done um and then by the time I was um interviewing getting those last interviews done then I was also writing the book and um you know I would research and write as I went along so even though I did most of my research up front. The research never ended because, you know, if you're writing the the Larry Holmes chapter, um, then you're looking for people who saw the fight or people who were sparring with him at the time of this fight, or um, you know, you you realize that you need to know more about the the doctors who were prescribing him medicine and and the laws of uh, the boxing commission in Nevada that allowed the fight to take place. So you're you know, as you as I'm writing, I'm I'm find I'm recognizing more holes in my story that need to be patched with research. So it's always juggling the the research and the writing. So if there, I mean, looking back on this, if there had been a book that also kind of did the the full life, maybe 20 years ago, let's say, and you came up with this idea, you want to write the book, but you had a, a little bit different angle. Like I know you worked with some statisticians about fighting numbers. There's just some different views on the time period. Do you think you would have went ahead with the book if you could bring a fresh perspective? And in in that regard, do you think that the book has your own voice to it? Or do you try to be invisible as the biographer? To to answer your first question, um, you know, if David Remnick had written the full biography when he did, which was probably 20 years before mine, um, I probably would not have done it. I would not have taken it on because he, if, if he'd, done the full biography at the at the level of quality that he did his um his book um that would have been good enough and i i don't think there would have been demand for uh or or reason enough to do a another ali biography so there's definitely got to be something new to say not just I'm not just going to put my spin on it and as far as you know my my spin or my style um I do try to be as invisible as I can, but that's impossible. Every writer has a different style. Every writer has a different um, approach to the book, and um, some of that's just based on uh, who you are, you know, how old you are, your your cultural background. Um, but some of it is based on you know what your interests are too. And, um, and nobody, no 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 two people can write the same book. I know you've said you um, you enjoy writing the action scenes. You like writing about sports. What what kind of excites you most about writing about sports? Is it the research when you find something brand new, or is it kind of putting your take on that on that fight or rewatching the fights and that kind of thing? I think it's it's mostly the fact that it it just makes the storytelling overall a lot easier. If you've got a fight to build up to, um, if you've got a uh, or a, a, a battle scene to build up to if you're writing a war story, uh, which I've never written. Uh, it's just so much easier than than if you're writing a biography of a poet or something, and and you know you might build up to you know some groundbreaking poem that he comes up with, but but that's not the same as as having guys punching each other in the face or 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 stabbing one another with bayonets. Uh, it's just it, it's it, it you know stories with action in them are, are much easier to write. And then, you know, you can think about it on a deeper level and ask about how that action 
um, informs their character. You know, what do we learn about Ali from his style in the ring? And um, you can, you know, you can get into some of the more nuanced matters. But um, just the, the thing I like best about writing sports is simply the fact that you've got men and women running and punching and kicking and 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 there are winners and losers and and that just adds a you know that just gives you built-in drama do you also look i mean i know the further you went back the less data there was uh for ali's fights and that kind of thing i spoke with a author named neil thompson and he wrote one book about like moonshiners where there was no information everybody was super secretive even today and he wrote one book about astronauts where there's tons of information from nasa do you do you prefer you know books where there's a lot of things to sink your teeth into before, like as far as research? Yes, but um, that also just means it's a lot more work. Um, you've got to figure out what is new and what isn't new. You've got to um, and you've got to get through all of it. You know, um, you know. I wrote this book about the invention of the birth control pill, and there were thousands and tens of thousands of pages of scientific documents, and there was no way I was going to be able to read them all. And it was very difficult for me to know what was important. And, um, you know, I had had far more than I could possibly ever deal with. Um, but that's a, I'd, I'd still rather have that problem than having um, to write about something that was completely undocumented. Um, the uh, the Capone book is one area where, is an example of one where there was just not enough material. I had to, um, because, you know, criminals tend not to keep good records on purpose um there wasn't a um there wasn't a great collection of archival material to work with so you had to really um you know any detail that you could come across um that was concrete was 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 really gold across your you know your your list of books and suggestions that you've written uh, i know Ali has come out i think i read that you're coming out with a martin luther king junior book next are you are you challenging yourself? Like, are you? It feels like you're taking on subjects where people know a good bit about the the person. So, are you kind of do you see yourself as taking on greater and greater challenges with each book you you accept or pitch? Yeah, definitely. This is uh, the King book is is by far my greatest challenge, and um, sometimes I think it's stupid because I, it'd be so much easier to write a uh, you know a book about. Uh, Ron Santa or something, you know, a baseball player who has a big fan base and and uh, and they'll 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 gobble up anything you give them and you can just go interview his family and and watch all his clips on on YouTube and um and it would be uh, it would be so much easier but I do want to challenge myself and I want to tell the most important stories that I possibly can and I you know where I also think that there's a need for something new. I mean King isn't just a challenge. I think that there's a there's a huge um, gap in the bookshelf. There hasn't been a new King biography in at least thirty years, um, and um, and I think the times have changed. We know more about him now. We we can see him in a different way, and and we still you know need that book given what's happening in our culture. So um, that to me made it worth taking on the challenge. Do you think we'll always, like every 20 or 30 years, we'll always kind of look back at things differently and there's always going to be room to write about something? Um, Chuck Klosterman wrote about 
you know, The Matrix came out in 99, and it was this type of movie, but then both of the creators had sex changes, and now it's going it's gonna to be looked back as a movie about that idea, like that it was about this trend, like it'll just change from what it actually, or what it was to viewers. Do you see that with, with these people you're writing about? you think there's always going to be room for a new book or a new side of the story or a new reflection on the time period? Yeah, no question about it. You know, sometimes people call these revisionist histories, and I don't really uh, like that term. I think every history is revisionist because everyone is being told um, from a different perspective given the, the times we're living through. You know, if you were to take on a, um, a biography right now of uh, some political figure, it's, you know, it's very different if you're writing in the Trump administration or if you're writing in the uh, – Kamala Harris administration, um, you know, a couple of years from now, that's, these books are all reflected through the prism of their time. So I I do think that most of these stories will be told again and again, and and that's valuable. Um, You know, know, maybe you dig up new information. Um, If you do, that's great. Um, But at the very least, you're you're telling it from the perspective of people who are reading it right now, and, and there's a lot of value in that. Is there anything else you want to say about the book or about the new, I know you're collaborating with Ken Burns for the documentary series? Um, yeah, that's been fun, too, just to see how they do things differently. I've never worked on a documentary before, so um, seeing how they conduct interviews has been really good for me. I've learned a lot from the process, and, you know, I'm, I'm always jealous when I watch, like, um, the, Ken Burns did a uh, Jackie Robinson documentary, and I sat, we, I think that's the only book of mine we haven't talked about um, I sat there watching that book, watching that film, and I said, "That's not fair." You know, he can use music. He has he has live video. You know, he has video of of Jackie running the bases. All I could do was describe the way he ran the bases. You know, it's 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 you know it's it's not fair. I wish I could do that. Um, and uh, and I try to think about that when I'm writing. You know, um, what what tools do I have that allow me to at least um, make my storytelling as as cinematic. I I can add layers of depth that he can't. I can add layers of context that he can't. I can slow down the story um, and and give you more of the supporting cast than he can. So I've got certain advantages for sure. But what can I learn from him? How can I put a little music in my books, you know, and 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 bring it to life in, in, in as much as much as the written word can? That's you know. So I'm I'm always trying to learn more. As I go along and get better with each book, I hope. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.com.